want to start by saying, like, um, it's the joy of my life to be with you guys on Sundays. It is my absolute favorite day of the week, and it blesses me so much. Um, I get so excited to see everybody and uh, spend time with you and um, worship Jesus together. Uh, <clears throat> you really are, like, my extended family, so it's really um, fun to be able to be with you. So in Exodus 20, 2 through 6, and we aren't going to have slides, so if you have your word of God with you tonight, <laughs> or your phone, or um, uh, whatever works best for you, if you want to be following along since we, and just so you know, we won't have slides when we're outdoors, so bring your Bibles um, on your phone or with you. Uh, because it will be helpful if you want to follow along. But in Exodus 22 through 6, it says this, I am Yahweh, your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves an idol, nor any image of anything that is in the heavens above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth, you shall not bow yourself down to them nor serve them. For I, Yahweh your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and on the fourth generation of those who hate me, and showing loving kindness to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Welcome to the final message in our series, Worst Advice Ever. We've been exploring this idea of advice we have either given or received or accepted, advice that maybe has even sounded good at the time, like follow your heart or forgive and forget. And then last week, a message that rocked many people's worlds, you've got this. You've got this. It sounds good, but is it? We learned last week, we can't handle everything, but we can trust God in everything. My question for us is, do we? Do we? Even if we know we can, do we actually trust God in everything? We say we do, but do we? When we hear or read the words, you shall have no other gods before me, nor make for yourselves an idol, or bow down to anyone or anything else, Maybe for some of us, as we're sitting in our seats today, we're like, well, duh, of course. No worries. I trust God with everything, and I definitely haven't made an idol of anything. But when we really start to dig deeper into ourselves, into our hearts, into our souls, could it be that the other things or even people have actually taken first place in our life? Have we actually made little mini thrones for ourselves? 
or for others. From our career path, working all hours, investing like crazy, climbing the ladder, to our hobbies as we start to move into nicer weather. I know many of us love to camp, we love to hike, we love to fish and boat and climb. To our significant others, consuming most of our thought life, our free time, and our dreams and our desires. Even decompressing, if we're honest, can become an idol as we can't wait to get home and turn on Netflix or YouTube to just zone out for a while. How about even ministry? This can quickly become number one if we're not careful. If we don't have Jesus in his rightful place and continually acknowledge and worship him from that position, so many things that are good can work their way into that position of idol, of worship. One of the things that continually fights for first position in our lives is our worst advice ever today. Because it sounds really, really good. It sounds really good. Culture says it's amazing. Culture says, put it first. I've heard this advice my entire life, and I'm certain I've given it, and we certainly mean well, but here it is. Family comes first. Family over everything. Family is everything. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we just come before you tonight, Lord. You said some really, really hard things in the word, in the Bible. We have it recorded. And some of those things just are really tough to hear. But Lord, I ask that you would give us a posture to be open to hearing it, to let your word actually change us into your likeness, that we would glorify you in every part of our lives, Lord, that we would not leave here unchanged, but changed by you. So Jesus, I ask that I would step out of the way, Lord, that it would be you that shines so bright tonight. In your name we pray, amen. <clears throat> the truth is, putting your family first sounds like the right thing to do, doesn't it? But Jesus thought and taught otherwise. There is no doubt that we should love our families, but we should never prefer them over our creator. Everything in our lives and our families work best when we put Jesus first. This was not a topic that Jesus ever shied away from. In fact, he spoke very clearly and very bluntly about it. There was no doubt was that what was in his mind and on his heart when he spoke about it. In Matthew 10:37, this is the message version I'm reading from. It says this, "Don't think I've come to make life cozy. I've come to cut, make a sharp knife cut between son and father, daughter and mother, bride and mother-in-law." 
cut through these cozy domestic arrangements and free you for God. Well-meaning family members can even be your worst enemies. If you prefer father or mother over me, you don't deserve me. If you prefer son or daughter over me, you don't deserve me. This scripture sounds kind of harsh, doesn't it? (laughs) And it is. But maybe it is so we will actually wake up. So often we go through our lives trying to accept God on our terms, saying in essence, okay, God, I will accept you as long as you don't ask me to sacrifice blank. Whatever it is that's keeping us from him in the first place. Because guess what, you guys? What God requires is everything. It's everything. When you think of family and sacrifice, It's very hard to not think of the story of Abraham and Isaac. You see, Isaac's birth was a complete miracle. The fulfillment of a promise that God made with Abraham. The sacrifice that God asked made no sense and was against everything that Abraham personally wanted. But Abraham, he went. He trusted God, he obeyed, and he believed. Even when we think that we know better, God knows what he is doing. We have to be willing to sacrifice everything for the Lord. Actually lay it all on the altar. And sometimes God will even give it back to us. And sometimes he won't. But if we have anything that we care about in our lives, it is only here by the grace of God. It's only given to us by the grace of God. And trying to hold on to it by sheer force of will, that never works. We have to offer it to the Lord. We turn it all over to him and he gives us back the good parts and more good things until we can't hold any more good. It starts dripping on the ground as we walk through the streets, blessing others. That's what's called overflow. And overflow can only happen when Jesus is in his rightful place. When I am putting him first, I have overflow for my husband. I have overflow for ministry. I have overflow for friends and for family. This is how God's economy works. In Luke 14, 26, I'm going to read out of the Passion Translation. It says this. As massive crowds followed Jesus, he turned to them and said, When you follow me as my disciple, you must put aside your father, your mother, your wife, your sisters, your brothers. Yes, you will even seem as though you hate your own life. This is the price you'll pay to be considered one of my followers. Pretty clear, right? And anyone who comes to me must be willing to share my cross and experience it as his own, or he cannot be considered to be my disciple. So don't follow me without considering what it will cost you. For who would construct a house before first sitting down the estimate to cost the cost to complete it? 
Otherwise, he may lay the foundation and not be able to finish it. And the neighbors would ridicule him, saying, look at him. He started to build, but he couldn't complete it. Verse 33, skipping down. Likewise, unless you surrender all to me, giving up all you possess, you cannot be one of my disciples. For salt is good for seasoning, but if salt were to lose its flavor, how could it ever be restored? It will never be useful again, not even fit for the soil or the manure pile. If you have ears opened by the Spirit, then hear the meaning of what I have said and apply it to yourself. You see, we must prefer him over them. We must prefer him over them. Sometimes it's hard to take up our cross. No, no. Let me rephrase that. It is always hard to pick up your cross. Offering things to God when we want so badly to control the situation, dig our fingernails in and hold on. But when we give things to God, he's in control. And guess what? He does a much better job of it. And then instead of being desperate, we find ourselves praying and bringing him in and steadying ourselves on the foundation of our relationship with him. And then instead of finding our lives or ourselves, as culture says, right? How many of you have heard the term, I just need to find myself. We offer ourselves to others. We offer our whole lives to God. And we don't lose anything by our sacrifice because God grants us the desire of our heart. And the truth is, he wants us to have most of the things in our life. But he does want to remove the bad things that are hurting us and those that are obstacles in our relationship with him. But Crystal, I love my family. My family is my world, Crystal. My family is my everything. I mean, that all sounds good and very noble, but what if I told you the best way to love them and to love them well is the way God intended, and that's to put him first. That's the only way to have a healthy family. That's it. We have to prefer him over them. In Mark 10, 28 through 31, it says, Then Peter began to mention all that he and the other disciples had left behind. He said, We've given up everything to follow you. And Jesus replied, Let me assure you, no one has ever given up anything, home, brothers, sisters, mother, father, children, or property for love of me and to tell others the good news who won't be given back a hundred times over, home, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and land. Look around the room. That's your mothers, your brothers, your sisters. This is your house. Please understand, there's a big difference between being a convert and being a disciple. 
In Luke 14, 33, Jesus said, simply put, if you're not willing to take what is dearest to you, whether plans or people, and kiss it goodbye, you cannot be my disciple. There's a lot of converts, especially in the Western United States, well, in the United States in general. We need more disciples. <laughs> we need disciples. You see, a convert says yes to Jesus. A disciple has a complete change of allegiance. Someone who has an allegiance to Christ, they shine. They actually put themselves on the cross. What? Why would you do that? I will tell you why. Because yes, you've met him, you know him, you know what he did for you. You've truly let that become a part of who you are. And you've truly encountered the resurrection. You see, Jesus didn't chase people. He didn't. He said goodbye to people all the time. He made it hard to follow him. When the rich young ruler came up to him, he said, what must I do to follow you? Jesus said, sell it all. He couldn't do it. And do you know what we would do today? We'd be like, why don't you start with 10%? And then we'll see if that's comfortable for you. And then maybe why don't you go up to 15%? We try and like strong arm people and twist and turn. No. Jesus said, sell it all. He said, leave your father and mother. He said, I demand your allegiance. You know, we're good with the Ten Commandments when it says don't steal and don't murder. But when it says don't have gods before me, oh my gosh. You want me to come to church regularly? Yeah. Not because we're religious because we're the body of Christ. Not because we're trying to check a box, because each of us matters and we're each a member of the body. That's why Jesus let people walk away. You see, following Jesus, it's the hardest thing we'll ever do. I'm not gonna whitewash it, it's hard. I mean, good grief, he asked me to give up a super high-paying job and career that gave me free trips every year. That's the world. This is the kingdom. Guess who's never been happier? When I say happy, it's not superficial happiness. It's a, it's a deep-rooted joy that I'm walking in the will of God. We've elevated anything we can above him, including our families. We say we'll obey to this point, but not further. We'll take this part of Jesus, but not that part. We keep trying to make him fit into our personal theology and our life rather than giving him our total allegiance, all of our preferences, all of our feelings, all of our lives. Listen, if anybody's ever had a conversation with me, you know I love being a mom. It is one of the most incredible 
things of my life. I love it with every fiber of my being. But it's not who I am. You guys, it's challenging to be a wife and a mom in this day and age with Pinterest and social media and comparing vacations and who went there and whose kids in what sport and who's taking what lesson and who's doing what and who's acknowledging their husband on social media and am I even good enough at this? My kids deserve everything. Guess what? They don't. They don't. They don't. God told me no to many things when it came to my children. I had to say no and make them cry a lot. Because God told me that being home and being a family was more important than running in the car all the time. Megan shed more than one tear when it came to volleyball and basketball. And whether that was right or wrong, I don't know. It was wrong in the world's eyes, I know that. Ended up being right for our family. But I consulted him before I made any decision about it. And many times I got it wrong, you guys. I'm far from a perfect mom or wife. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is my identity is not in those things. It is in being a daughter of God. That's my identity. Child of God. That's who I am. This is the identity from which all other pieces flow because he's the living water I drink from. He's how I stay refreshed. This is what brings me life and prevents burnout and gives meaning to anything that I do in my life. We have to get to the place where we take our eyes off of our spouse and we put them on the throne. We take our eyes off of our job, we put them on the throne. We take our eyes off of our finances, we put them on the throne. We take our eyes off of our calendar, we put them on the throne. It's the only throne that's legitimate. We've created hundreds of other ones. His is the throne that, we, that navigates our life. We have an invitation to glorify him in everything we do, including our families. So practically, what does that look like? How do you start your day? Is it with him? Is he the focus and the start of your day? How do you start your week? Is it from a place of rest and Sabbath with him? Who do you ask before you make a decision? Yourself, your spouse, or him? Don't assume everything is supposed to happen all the time with your family, with your finances. We take it all to Jesus. We take it all. You see, a lot of times we raise our families and we say, God's number one in my life, but do our actions prove it? 
Or when they look at our lives, does it look like there's other things that come first? Where is our allegiance? And where does the life of our family flow from? I read this quote this week. It said, half-hearted Christians are the most miserable people of all. They know enough about God to feel guilty, but they haven't gone far enough with Christ to be happy. To be fulfilled, be all out for him. I thought, boy, that resonates. You guys, in spite of our rebellion, God encourages us to come and gather all the strength and sustenance we need each day. In spite of our complaining, he waits to see if we will follow his instructions given for our good. In spite of our determination to have our own way, God still desires that we rest in what he's provided. In spite of our forgetfulness, God prompts us to remember his acts of mercy and faithfulness. God will always be true to his name. He will always act according to who he is. He is so faithful. I think sometimes we're at such a disadvantage living in this country of abundance, living in the comfort, being able to worship in a warm, cozy building when it was raining outside. The fastest growing church in the world right now is in Iran. It's growing by millions. When you give your allegiance to God there and someone finds out, your whole family could be murdered on the spot right in front of you. They don't care. They're all in for Jesus. I don't think we even can grasp what that passion looks like. And it's interesting because Jesus is meeting people all over the world right now. There was a man in a hut living in the outskirts in Iran. No satellite, no power, doesn't even know what a cell phone is. One of these underground pastors went to go hear his story. He said, tell me, tell me what's been happening. He said, a man in white comes to me every night. Comes to me every night. He said, what, what happens? He goes, he tells me things and I write it down. He goes, show me, show me what he tells you. So he picked it up. It was the whole book of John. Jesus wants to meet with us like that. He really does. He doesn't belong on a shelf with a bunch of other idols. He's our everything if we call ourselves a disciple. Everything. When I was preparing my message, I gave it to my son and we were talking about it. He's like, this is a hard message for me, mom, because I don't have a problem giving up any of my family for God. 
I'd, I'd leave everybody in a second. I was like, oh, thank you, Jesus. That's nothing to credit myself and his dad or anybody. That's because he's had a real encounter with Jesus. And he has his allegiance. We are no good to anybody if we don't put him first. On the plane, they say, put your oxygen mask on first before you help your children. Put your oxygen mask on first before you encounter anybody. You guys, there is coming a day when every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Right now, when we were worshiping, they're worshiping in heaven before the throne. Right now, right now. That's not someday, that's now. That's now. This week, I want to encourage you to get with your family and ask and answer the question, how can we prefer God as a family over one another? See what that looks out like practically and why it's important to do so. What does your life say? What does your schedule say? Does it look like Jesus is Lord? And if you don't have a family, do this with a close friend. If you're the only member of your family who walks with God, you can also ask God as an individual, how do I prefer me over you? Am I getting that backwards? Or are you number one in my life? What does that look like practically? I want to encourage you to stand up. We're going to pray. I, with eyes closed, heads bowed, it's just me looking out. I just, if you have been creating little idols, if you've maybe put yourself or your family on the throne, no judgment. This is, this is a time for us to be real before God. I just want to just raise your hand if God's brought something to mind. I see you. I see you. I see you. I see you. Okay. And for those of you that maybe have never said yes to Jesus, today, as Zena talked about, he's so kind. He's so full of compassion. He went to the cross for you. He would have gone to the cross if it was only for you. That's how much he loves you. And he wants to be Lord of your life. He wants to walk with you. He wants to talk with you. He wants to love you. He's so worth saying yes to. Jesus, we come before you today, Lord. 
Yes, <laughs> sometimes it feels like we're at a disadvantage. We have options. We have options to go outside or come inside. We have options on how to spend our weekend and what would grab our attention. And we have options on what to do with our time and what to do with our money and how to live our life, God. Options everywhere, Lord. Everything competing for our time and our attention and our hearts and our souls, Lord. You are worthy of it all. You are worthy of every piece of us. You are worth selling it all and following you, God. Lord, you are so patient with us. You are so good to us. We sang those songs today, Lord, and and your goodness is running after us all the time. Lord, help us to quit running. Help us to embrace it. Help us to smash those idols. Put them away. Be done with them. Help us to be disciples, not converts. Not trying to just add you into a piece of our life and feel good about ourselves as we leave. But Lord, really give ourselves over with you. Lord, we are hungry for you to meet with us. And you want to come, and we're so busy putting everything before you. Gosh, we love you, Lord. Lord, and if there is anyone who's not said yes to you today, let today be that day. God. We invite you in. We thank you for forgiving our sins. Going to the cross for us. We ask you to have your way in our lives, Lord. We do speak the name of Jesus. We ask this all in your mighty and powerful name, God. Let today be a new day. Amen.